Welcome to episode 162 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now, here's your host, Robbie Samples. Over 26,000 people attended Inbound a couple of weeks ago, and I was one of them. This industry event attracts an interesting mix of marketers, salespeople, tech geeks, and entrepreneurs from all over the globe. Plus, 200 speakers share their expertise on a wide range of topics. That's a lot of people, even for this outgoing extrovert. This is my third year attending, and it was infinitely better experience than my first year. The best part of my first time attending was that I got to see Michelle Obama and Brene Brown speak, and that was pretty awesome. I only had a ticket to see the plenary speeches and kind of wandered around the huge open exhibitor hall the rest of the time. Inbound does a great job creating lots of opportunities for people to connect with different seating options, interactive exhibits, and this year there was even a ball pit. But when I was by myself that first year, none of that was very helpful. I felt alone in a crowd of thousands, which isn't a great feeling. One thing that helped that first time is that I had committed to hosting a dinner during the event and started the guest list by inviting a couple of friends I knew who would be in town to speak. They invited a couple of more people and we ended up with six for dinner. I really enjoyed that gathering. Last year, I was able to attend a few breakout sessions, so I thought I'd meet people that way. As usual, most people who arrived early to attend these sessions sat far from each other and got on their phones or laptops, making it hard to say hello and meet people who shared my interests. I did manage to meet a few new people and invited them to join the dinner I had already planned that year. That dinner was definitely a highlight of the event for me. This year, I put effort into reviewing the schedule ahead of time and made a plan to attend a lot of the breakout sessions. I reached out to a few speakers ahead of time, ended up making new connections that way, and even had lunch with some of these new contacts after their sessions. A few times, I sat up front and took lots of photos of the speaker on stage and then shared the best ones with them. That was a great way to offer something of value. I also committed to hosting two dinners because now I know a lot more speakers coming to the event. Each of the dinners I hosted had 10 guests, a mix of people I knew well, new only online, and a couple of people I'd reached out to just prior to the event or at the event. This advanced planning and commitment to making new connections and deepening existing ones really made a difference. It was my best inbound yet, and I'm looking forward to next year. I left with a lot of new ideas for my business and have made a positive impression on a small but growing community within this huge event. Your challenge for this week Write a draft of your follow-up email ahead of time to get clear on your intentions about who you'd like to meet and what you'd want to share with them. When you make a great connection, be sure to keep track so their business card isn't shuffled into a pile of random ones you received. And plan to host a dinner on one of the last nights of the event so you can invite people you meet to join you. Your next event may not be with 26,000 people, but you could apply these strategies to have a great experience. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. 
Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest is an immigrant who went from incredible poverty to founding a multi-million dollar business. She was born in an orphanage in Mexico, and her first shot out of poverty was an opportunity to play basketball for the Mexican national team, a shot she missed because she had a broken her collarbone. Undeterred, she managed to immigrate to the United States on a basketball scholarship. With a college degree in hand, but no job to be found, she found herself living on the streets during a snowy winter, a condition so familiar that she didn't realize she was homeless. A friend saw her and gave her a place to stay. Weeks later, she entered a fresh salsa competition, won unanimously, and received $800 to start a natural salsa and dips company, which she grew into a multi-million dollar business within four years with products distributed across 38 states to major supermarkets like Walmart, Sam's Club, Whole Foods, and so many more. At the height of its success in 2015, she sold her company to Campbell's and then went to Mexico and rescued 31 orphan children from a drug cartel. Please join me in welcoming Maggie Cook. Hi, thank you for having me. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Clearwater, Florida. I just have to acknowledge that your your intro reads like a like a like a Hollywood blockbuster. You know, it's like you can't make this stuff up. And that last line, and then she went to Mexico and rescued thirty one. Like, come on now. <laughs> we'll talk about all this, but you know, set the stage a little bit. As you know, this is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So, so tell me. How do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I think I was born a leader because growing up in the orphanage, I would notice that how kids would listen to me more than anybody else. And I really believe that the secret to great leadership is great empathy because when you can be emphatic over people, over who they are and, and really care about them, they really respond differently. They're just not, not just an object. They're, you create like a family, like a community, something that I never had, uh, like a real, real family. So I think that that's like the key ingredient. It's really being sensitive enough to other people's needs because people have needs. And if those are valued in the company, then imagine what you can do with that. I mean, you become a real culture. Yeah. But I also believe that leadership is not just leadership. It's, it's all about servant leadership because when you can put yourself as a, as a leader, as a CEO of a company and serve, when I took my team in the production area and I never told them chop tomatoes, chop the onions, I was in line first. I was leading first and telling them, this is how you do it. And I was there chopping with excitement and showing them new tricks. And they were like, oh my gosh, we've never had a boss like this. So we would like create competitions of who would do it better. So it's, it's servant leadership and always serving, like even when they got sick, you know, what, what can I do for you? Can I drive you home? You know, I ended up buying cars, bicycles, things for my team members that couldn't come to work because something big happened or they got sick and I was able to do something. And, and, and 
when you do that, think of an example when my when my mother uh, came to visit me at the production area when we had grown so big and we were distributing to Walmart, and a team member came in, interrupted us in the office, and he said his name was Lonnie, and he knocked and, I, and he said Maggie. I said, Yeah, Lonnie, what's up? Come in. He said, I, I just wanted to tell you something. Touch my shoulder. He says somebody threw bottles of beer outside and the in the brick wall and broke them. And I just wanted to let you know that I picked them up for you. Okay. And, and I was like, thank you, Lonnie. My mom turns to me and she says, wow, they really care for you. And I said, mom, you have no idea. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have that growing up, you know? And so it's people are so important because people impact other people. And it's not, it was not just me. You know, I tell company, companies, if your leadership sucks, it's because you suck. Like the top of the head sucks because everything emanates from that. What happened with my culture is that once I was the base of everything, then it kind of trickled down and it was radiated everywhere else. So people started treating other people like I was treating them. And I can talk about countless and numerous things of things that I did that just made things better to the point that some team members begged me to stay to work because things at home were worse or bad. Mm. And so I could say, no, I can't do that because the law says only, only so many hours you can work and you can't sleep here, obviously. But leadership, uh, you know, empathy and I think uh, servant leadership is super important to, to huge success in any company, no matter how small or how big the company is. Yeah, it's amazing that you were able to maintain that as you grew, as quickly as you grew. And uh, you also mentioned that you you had this experience growing up in an orphanage, which I don't think many people have a sense of what that is. You know, we 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 have such a um, literature as our source for that, not real life. And how many brothers and sisters were in the orphanage? Well, my parents, my caregivers ad- adopted um, sixty kids, and there was eight of us biological. And then at times they had over two hundred kids that lived there, so. Growing up was not normal, like a family normal, like per se, but it was more like living in a college, in a, in a college dorm and yeah. college environment. You had this huge house that was, all it was, it was a dining room and a cooking area, like a cafeteria, but it wasn't a cafeteria, obviously. And then you had girls dorms, guys dorms, little kids dorms, you know, boys and girls, little, you know, and laundry and everything was by hand. I remember washing my clothes in the river and we didn't have washboards, but then we, they did a laundry, laundromat. So it was very, very different, very uh, interesting. Not, nothing like I would have lived here. <laughs> yeah, nothing like this. And you said that even early on, people sort of looked to you as a leader. Um, you know, with 60 siblings, <laughs> it seems like you have a lot of opportunity to be the one who like keeps them organized, you know, helps them, like, you know, cares for them. So that feels like that's a lot of opportunity and practice that you that you have, and it sounds like it translated when you started to have the opportunities later on in life. Is that yes. for you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing that that I'm differing from even some of my siblings is that I lived through so much abuse that I valued how important it was not to suffer. And when even when I would go down and visit. And some of my biological siblings would grab a stick and start hitting a kid. I would take that stick and push him back and ask why, why can't you talk? Because communication is more than beating somebody like we grew up. So when I did that one thing, this one time, all the little kids watched me 
And they flock to me because now, you know, they have an opportunity to connect on a deeper level than somebody hitting them. So if I would talk to them, they would listen because they know that I understand them and they don't want to be abused and I can communicate with them differently. So I would get in trouble because I would not let them be punished, (laughs) but I would, but I would teach also the encouragement of communication because when you communicate, I learned early on that, you know, Anabel and Luis, I talk about in my book, Anabel bit Luis and Luis came to me, Maggie, Anabel bit me and he was crying. And I go to Anabel and I said, Anabel, why did you bite Luis? And so we started having a conversation and I said, so Anabel, what do you think I'm going to do? And she started to cry and she was like six, seven years old with him. And she says, you're going to tell, tell mom or dad. And I said, and what would you think they would do? they would beat me. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We talked about it. We resolved it. Little kids, they understand. (laughs) And I left it at that. I walked out the door and I'll probably cry because I turned back and I saw them hugging each other and asking for, I'm sorry. And um, that's really, really the impact. And I wish that my caregivers and my parents would listen to what i would say to them many times that there were too many kids that they, they, they there needed to be more communication, more attention. And, um, but I really learned from just not wanting to suffer anymore, you know, from wanting to live a better life. And if I could create it, even though horrible things happen to me and others, then I would do everything to kind of discover new things, to make things different, to make things better. There's usually a point in my interviews where I want to ask people about the challenges they face, but I feel like it's easier to ask you about the moments where you saw joy and possibility because you face so many challenges. And there's a, there's a line in the intro that you didn't give me that I actually got from your, your great, amazing video. People go to her website. Um, it's, a, it's a really MaggieCook.com. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for you. M-A-G-I-E-C-O-O-K.com because it's a great video. Um, and in there, you talk about you finally make it to the United States. You finally get here and you get a college degree. But that, you know, for a lot of us, we're like, oh, great. That's the end of the story. You know, roll credits. But you didn't find a job. And next thing you know, you're like either living on the streets or living in a nearby forest. But there's a line where you say, and I didn't know I was homeless. That stuck with me. I have to say, watching that video, that was like, oh, you know, I felt that. And that someone like saw you and, and helped you find a safe place to stay. And that actually is the beginning of your turning around point. Did you have hope at that moment when that started to happen? Like, when did it happen that you were like, it's all going to be okay? Like, I could imagine you living in fear for years, even though things were being successful, that it could all be taken away from you. Well, I think the reason why I, I thought that that I didn't even know I was homeless is because growing up, my escape was I actually built caves inside of big canyon mountain mountain tops, and I would sleep in them and live in them to get away from, you know, things that were happening. So I sort of lived out in the woods or you know out in, in the middle of nowhere by myself. But the kind of mentality that I adopted even at an earlier age was the dreamer adventure sort of escape mentality in my mind. And I would go away to the woods, to the mountains for days, and nobody would even know that I was gone because there were so many of us. 
And I would dream that I would be this superhero or this person that was making the world a better place. So for me, being in the woods when I was homeless here, it was more of, well, there are some fear factors there because one of the things was, and I can never tell anybody about this, I can never tell my caregivers because number one, I don't want to go back where I came from. So I kept it to myself. And then number two, I think for me was, uh, it was quiet and silent and, and alone. And I had a time to kind of reevaluate my whole self. And I got to a point where I said to myself, I don't have money. I don't have a car. I don't have a house. I don't have a job. I don't have anything, but by not having anything, I'm free because I'm not burdened by anything. And then I sort of found God in that. And the moment that happened, somebody found me on the street that knew me and said, what the heck are you doing here? And got me a place to stay. And that's really where everything started to happen with my yeah. business, everything. Yeah. And what a reframe. What a, what a, I mean, this is why you're here doing this work and all the other people who had the same you know, experiences growing up that you did aren't because you just are coming through it with such a different, like with a shining light. You're seeing the possibilities as you move forward. You're reframing it. You're, you know, you know, you're, you're finding yourself in it. Like, you know, I'm asking you about living in these horrible conditions and you're like, well, you know, it was a great way for me to find myself, <laughs> you know, and like people pay a lot of money, by the way, to go on those kind of retreats. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. But you know, when it comes to suffering, I've come to understand that there, we all have two choices and happiness and suffering cannot coexist in the mind at the same time, just as fear and love can't. So we all have a choice. And I think that if we choose happiness or we find the good and even the bad things that we can start opening the window opportunity to, to being fulfilled in the moment, I think really what it comes down to is living moment by moment and really engulf yourself in being in the present. Because there's a great quote by this author, I can't remember her name. And she said, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why it's called a, pre- a present. I think uh, uh, the Kung Fu Panda movie used it. I know the quote, but I don't know who said it. Yeah, it's a yeah, good one. It's an author from the 1920s that, that wrote that quote. And I love it because today, the present right now is, is what's the most important thing. And I think we all have a choice. And I think that we can choose to, to, and you know, don't get me wrong, depression and mental health is a really big, serious problem. And I think it'll start somewhere. And I think that if we let ourselves go into the deep end of either way, we can either really truly enjoy life and find fulfillment, even on the street, on, on a cave, uh, you can do that. But it, it all it's all a choice, you know, initially, because you can get so deep that it, that ultimately it seems like you don't have a choice. That's why people commit suicide. Yeah. Uh, so it's really interesting, you know, the realizations. The things. So, you know, I, I brought us sort of to this point in the story where, you know, you're no longer living um, houseless. You have a place to stay. Yes. And uh, you, you have some supports around you. And within a matter of weeks, there's this opportunity for you to do a fresh salsa uh, contest. Where did you learn to cook? First of all, like in the middle of all the 60 kids, were you the one helping out? Well, the way that it was organized in the orphanage was that one week the girls would cook and the other week 
the boys would clean the house and and talking about huge house uh and then we would switch off vice versa and i remember we didn't eat very good food initially when i was really little um and i remember when i grew up older we were able to prepare more meals but i remember eating like they would cook whole vegetables like i got a whole onion with no salt and that's it my sister would get a whole potato with nothing just it was cooked in water and i remember giving i wanted to get rid of it so i cut a piece and gave it to the dog that was skinny that was laying on the ground and the dog came up and smelled it they wouldn't even eat it so i kind of grew up but growing up older i would had the opportunity to we would get up at four in the morning and we would cook like 60 pounds of potatoes and so many eggs uh if we had the means to do that later on in life so one of the things that i love to do is we never got fresh produce as much as we wanted to but we got opportunities to get like tomatoes and onions and and cilantro and jalapenos and stuff like that and when we did i would make the salsa and it's the traditional pico de gallo salsa but when i created that recipe i was actually making in, in the dorms and the my friends loved it so much that they told my teachers so my teachers would ask me to bring it to class so it became very popular in college so when when i came out of homelessness i actually didn't know somebody signed me up to the contest and they told me you know you got to go because we signed you up because we think your salsa is the best and at that time there was literally no fresh salsas and i'm talking about fresh fresh pico de gallo salsa with a little bit of lime a little bit of well you know salt and and a little bit of vinegar everything else was was a cooked salsa like a tostado salsa people were making cooking their salsa so it was different and that's really what gave me the edge and i won that that contest by unanimous vote and that's really where everything started that was my aha moment for for a business yeah i mean until then it's like you have this talent that you don't realize it's a talent you don't realize it's a it's something that other people would value mm-hmm. well the interesting thing about that is that if i would have thought 10 years before that that i'd be making salsa i'd be like what the heck me salsa come on you know i'm this tough girl that grew up in mexico i should be like racing horses or something you know but no or like being a real estate person no salsa i mean who'd have thought that salsa pico de gallo salsa would make such a big impact it would make millions of dollars but i saw an opportunity and i took it and that's one of the things that when people see an opportunity and they don't go for it because they're afraid of losing something or compromising this or that you know i went for it and and it happened and and i'm so glad i did because if i would have thought myself uh, uh, guess how do you say second guessed myself yeah then i may not be here talking to you today about this so you're not just i mean you went for it you built you know in the intro i say multi million dollar business but in 4 years you you sold it to campbells in 2015 and what was that large ticket that what was what was the large amount that you attached to that well the i i had it for about 11 years uh-huh. so the the um 4567 by the third year it became a million dollar company and then it just grew and grew and grew and then it actually sold to garden fresh and we sold it to campbell soup and it sold for 250 million dollars 231 i'm sorry million dollars Me. What's a few million dollars between friends? Two hundred thirty-one million dollars. Two hundred thirty-one million dollars. Yes. And and in the first few years, you grew to a million-dollar company, which in itself, that that's a point where people are really happy and they know some stability there. How do you? Well, you got to think though. 
What was I, grew your- it, I grew it with 800 bucks. That's it. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, I mean, I, I don't, as a person who does, you know, business coaching, I don't know if someone told me they have this great recipe and $800, mm-hmm. I could think through a business plan that would get them to a million dollars in three years. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. But add to it the fact that you didn't have a ton of supports. It's right. not like you have a long line of family members who are going to like invest in you and right. like coach you and mentor you. Right. Who were, who were your mentors early on? Who were the people that really got what you were doing and believed in what you were doing? You want to know the truth? This is crazy. When I started my company, I reached out to other salsa companies that, that, you know, that I thought that I could get help. I, I reached out to people. I reached out to, to many different organizations and nobody could help me. So I decided that I was going to use Google as my main research source and that I was going to do everything. And, but I was like super committed. I would sleep like two or three hours a night because I wanted this to be a success so badly. I had a fire for it. And the one thing that I do realize that was so valuable is once I became big, I should have never stopped pursuing connections with people. So I've never had a mentor, never. And maybe I, maybe some, someday I'll have one because I would really love to have a mentor. Even, you know, they say, look up to people that are higher, you know, making more money than you. I would love that because I've never had that. I've never had it's sort of like a father, mother figure, because I think it's so important and so crucial. I stopped because I never got help. But one of the, one of my drawbacks is I would have made a lot more money if I would have reached out to people. Because once you establish yourself and become bigger, it's easier to connect with people because for some reason they weren't valuing me back then. And now I had value. So I, if I would have done that, that's one thing that I missed that if I could go back and say to myself, what would I change? It would be that simple thing is to reach out to people, keep reaching out to people and grow even bigger because you have more support and, and everything's shared, you know? Uh, and I sort of kind of did it, but indirectly I didn't know I was doing it. I had a competitor. He made a cheese dip. because so I also made cheese dips like Mexican, Mexican cheese dips. And his name was Gordo's cheese dip. And we went to a, um, a trade show and he came over very suspicious to my booth and he says, who are you? Blah, blah, blah. I said, Hey, I'm Maggie. I, I'm your competitor. And he said, I became great friends with him. And my team was like, how do you do that? I said, you got to understand that there's this big piece of pie and everybody's got a piece. The bigger piece you get is how harder, much harder you work. We became such good friends because I understood that if I shared my secrets, he could share his and we could just grow mutually. But it wasn't like I was searching for a connection and build from something from them because I was not pursuing anything. I was just very open about, you know, he was jealous because I was in Walmart and he wasn't yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I just went to Walmart and I saw his product and I told my husband, yes, he's in Walmart. So I'm very happy for him. That's awesome. I mean, what a great though example that even though you weren't strategically figuring out how to build this and, you, and I, I don't know how you'd add that in given that you were sleeping so few hours, but that when the opportunity um, came to build the connection, you did it, that you saw the value in that moment. And I think you're right though, that early on, you know, probably these big companies just didn't have a time or day for you. No, they hang up on me. Yeah. It was just like, hi, I'm Maggie. You know, and just trying to get help and, uh, you know, companies come to me now and I ask for help and I'm like, sure, what can I, you know, can I give you some advice? You know, even if they're a salsa company, 
Mm-hmm. Salsa companies came to me when I was a salsa company and I was like, how can I help you? What machine do you use to cut tomatoes? Here it is. Here's the name of it. You know, and, and I wasn't afraid. And I was like, I wish somebody did this for me, but I'm doing it for you. So pay it forward. This so is that's the kind abundant, of the yeah, it's the abundant mindset. And um, so uh, I'm a few days away from attending the National Speakers Association annual event called Influence. Uh, and I mentioned their convention because their founder, Cavett uh, Robert, he talks about um, it's not about slices of a pie. It's about making a bigger pie. Mm. And I think that's what you're going for, right? You're like, because it. me and my competitor were collaborating, we actually created much more for both of us than if we had been, you know, very scarcity mindset, trying to just do our own little tiny thing, we could do more things together. And that's, that's beautiful for me. That really resonates the way I live and try to work. And you're right. Like if you pay that, if you do that, then other people are more likely to pay it forward. So you are having an incredible ripple effect. I imagine everywhere you go, um, there's just, there's a, there's an amazingness about you about like, you're just, uh, is there, it's a refreshing look at how life could be for people who a work hard, but also deserve the success they receive because you earned it. Um, when you're thinking about relationship building though, and you're, you know, it, now as you made this shift, so, so let's just talk about that shift first. So you, the comp 2015, you left the operations part of the business and you started focusing on speaking. Is that, yeah. And you wrote a book. And what's the book called? It's called uh, Mindful Success, How to Use Your Mind to Transform Your Life. It's in Amazon. That's awesome. So we'll put a link in the show notes as well. So I think that uh, that's a very different way of running a business. You know, you were in a production space. You know, you actually had product. And now you're selling ideas. You're selling yourself as a thought leader, as a recognized expert. That's a very different, you know, you, before you were like kind of behind the scenes, making things happen, obviously thinking a lot about culture, you know, a lot about your, your team morale. What were the initial topics that you decided, and you know, and you have this amazing story, but what did you decide you were going to speak on? Like, how did you know you had something to shift to? The thing is, uh, uh, with my speaking, I'm very open to put, putting myself out there because I have so many experiences uh, with diversity, with uh, diversity and inclusion, with uh, leadership, with, you know, thinking like a CEO, there's so many things that I can speak on and relate to. And, you know, even how to start your own company from kitchen to market, anything, you know, I've had, I have helped other companies that are not food companies start their businesses. So because business really comes down to like kind of the basics, and then you, you kind of just go from there. But I'm, I'm really open. I think the biggest thing that I speak about is my story and the inspiration behind that. And if I was able to do something with very little or coming from a place that was very different and difficult, then maybe I could be a source of inspiration for others that to say, you know, I'm afraid of starting my business. I'm afraid of, of becoming empowered, but you can, you know, maybe I can help you build that bridge by sharing my story. And then to that, I can connect, you know, I've spoken at uh, lenders, conferences, banking, uh, sporting, universities, all kinds of events. So it just depends on, there's usually when they come to me, there's usually a story and I'm able to connect most of the time uh, because I have something to share, some ex- some experiences to share that I can tie in with uh, with mindfulness, with business, with whatever it is that and, and my thing is, my goal is, I always ask, 
what is it? What, what's the biggest, the bigger problem that you're trying to solve? And if I can help in some way contribute to the solution of that, then I've made a, an impact. Yeah. So I, I'm, I love this. I love that you're taking what you've learned, which is a lot of real skill-based, experience-based, and sharing it with others to inspire them. As you made the shift to CEO of, you know, the salsa company to, I guess, you know, CEO of this new entity you're trying to figure out and create, what was challenging about that? And who did, who did you connect with as you made that shift? Were there people who helped you in that transition? Well, the, the thing is, I've been speaking for maybe three years into my business because people were, I was in the newspapers a lot. I was on TV a lot and they were coming out to me to, for, you know, for me to speak at business events or youth or schools. So I did a lot of speaking, but I never got paid or that I was never offered a fee to get paid. And one of the things for me coming into this business was how do I ask for money because it's different, you know, I'm not, I'm not making salsa and it's not selling every day and I'm getting money like that in because they're buying it and buying it and buying it. You know, how do I approach someone? They might hire me once, they might never hire me again. How do I, it was very different. So I didn't know how to start. There's a company out there, uh, a guy, um, Speak Pro Academy, and I joined his group and he really gave me confidence to how to ask and how to put myself out there to, to, to show who I am, how to put my website out, how to do my video reel, all that stuff, which is super important because the first thing that people want to see is make sure that you are actually can get up there and speak and be confident and make people laugh or make people sad, whatever it is. So um, I went through that and then I learned how to ask. And I think that when you learn how to ask, you are empowered because Asking becomes unless if you ask in a in a in a way that is, you know, you don't want to take advantage of people ever. You know, you have have to be make sure that you ask in a way that it's always a win win for both parties and whatever you're doing. Just like in in the salsa business, negotiating price for the salsa initially before it went out to the supermarkets. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm glad to hear that. You know, as you're starting, you sought out some some resources. You joined this Speak Pro Academy and. Mm-hmm got some, you know, some training. I think you're, you're such a do it yourself person <laughs> that I'm sure even that must've been different. Yeah. Like well, being community. If you, if you, um, when you say do it yourself, my website is a WordPress website in two days. I had it up. I learned what, uh, uh, WordPress and I put everything out there. I made my own videos. I bought final cup pro the video, the story video that you saw, I made that. Wow. So um, I, I wanted to do it myself because I didn't want to, I wanted it quick and I wanted it good and I didn't want it to wait on anybody else to say, oh, don't do this, do that. So I kind of, you know, wanted to get it going. So I've learned so much and I can take pretty much any video clip anywhere that I go and make it into a quick educational something, you know, to put out there if I need to. That's so it's, awesome. it's been a blessing. Yeah, yeah. And so it's also a nice creative break because I, was I love, say it's different. Yeah. yeah. I love the creative break of creating uh, of creating something really beautiful and sharing it with the world. So I was surprised to hear that in, in the sense that um, now that you have resources, you have uh, money that you're not you weren't immediately like, okay, I'm gonna hire the best people and right. have them like, you know, make this all happen that you but I think you like having the ownership of it. Yes. Um 
and the creativity is fun for you. So, you know, and you probably, you know, it wasn't like you were in a rush to figure it out. Like, you no. know, you wanted to do it at your pace and, and do it right. And here we are 2019, um, you know, it's, and, and you're, and it's happening, you know, you're now yes. known for speaking in a different way than you were known for the salsa company. What's, what's been one of the fun sort of surprising uh, stories that happened because of the speaking? Like now that you have this new platform, who have you touched? Who, who have you um, haven't had an impact on? Um, well, I think that because of my speaking exposure, the biggest thing that's happening right now is I'm actually flying to uh, Hollywood, uh, meeting with a company there and going to an international film festival, they're making, they're starting to make a movie about my story and it's going to be a blockbuster movie and they're almost done with the script. So I'm going to be traveling to see them. And they're also going to be having an award show and I'm supposed to be receiving some awards. I'm not sure for what yet, but it's going to be an exciting time. And I think that sharing my 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 story with the world is it's going to be something beautiful although i did come across some um blocks or some difficulties because the the video that you watched the first time i published it on my social media on facebook and so forth i had several fam- family members that contacted me and said take it down take it down immediately and i said why i said i've been told to be, keep quiet all my life i'm going to speak out I said, you know what happened to us. You know exactly what you went through. You know exactly what I went through. And and they said, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. Mm. Uh, and because they were kind of sort of looking it into in, in a different way. I was looking at, at the story at the story as this is what I live. This is what I'm able to do. How can I inspire you to become a better version version of yourself by watching this clip? Versus there was suffering. There was all this stuff, and it looks really bad on me or on us. So it's, again, that mentality that I have to shift on them to be able to, for them to be able to say, you're right. Uh, this is a great opportunity to make a difference. Wow. I'm glad you're getting that platform. And I sort of, I hinted at that at the beginning when I was talking about just how your intro reads like a Hollywood blockbuster. <laughs> um, I mean, and really it's, it's such a compelling story and it's, it's, you live through a lot, you live through a lot and you're now here sharing that in a way that helps bring other people to to you know, overcome their own challenges, whatever they are, we never should compare them. But I can tell you that I've not done anything. I, you know, I've not overcome any challenge in my life that comes close to what you've even described on this show. And yet, I've lived my own challenges. And I think everyone gets stuck. Everyone gets stuck. And you're like, here's how you break through to the next thing. And you know, you're constantly. It sounds like reinvention. Sounds like a big part of who you are. So, all right, a year from now, we're connecting. Uh, we're talking about all that you've accomplished and, you know, we're celebrating that. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking forward to in the year ahead? What's, what's, you got this movie stuff coming up. What, what's next for you, Maggie? What, what are you going to be doing? I love sharing my story and, and growing my, what I'm doing with, with, uh, with sharing and inspiring. And I think that's a, a really great purpose, but one thing that I've recently focused on that I had an epiphany about was me going back and rescuing those children from a drug cartel in Mexico. I had, I was doing a meditation one evening and I had a huge 
awakening about what I was doing. And I realized that number one, there's dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of of nonprofit organizations that are fighting child trafficking. And what they're doing is saving kids, saving kids, saving kids. And immediately I saw it as if you go to the doctor and you have a cough and he gives you a pill, he's treating the symptoms, not what caused the symptom. And then I thought about my business when I had tomatoes and we had the big salmonella outbreak, my 40 pound case of tomatoes went from $3 to $48 supply and demand. So what happens when they take the children away? Supply demand, prices will go up and you never solve the issue. And what I thought of is these people who have hurt others, they also have a name and they also have a story. And they were the ones that nobody could help either. I wanted to kill them first because they hurt children. I wanted to kill them. But then I had this huge amount of sense of compassion because. I thought to myself, if they, if they knew the, your story, they wouldn't help but love you. Because, and then I spoke with people who have dealt with, you know, like psychologists, psychiatrists who have helped people who hurt others. And they all are, t- are telling you the same thing. If they're abusing children or hurting other children or women or other people, it's because they were hurt also. A hundred times, a hundred percent of the time. So those are the silent ones. And my biggest thing is how can we reach to, these, to th- this group of people? How can we reach to the demand if we did that and nobody else is doing that? What would happen to the supply? So that was my big awakening. And I'm starting a new movement to bring awareness, more of a collaborative movement because I don't know the answers. I want people to come with uh, collaboration to try to figure out what can we do. And when I spoke about this on my last um, convention, I had a lot of women saying, came to me, one of them said, you hit me like a ton of bricks on my head. And I literally see things in, in pictures. So I literally saw a brick. And she said, I was a, a rape victim. And now I see things differently. And I can forgive and I think I have some ideas that I can, and that's what I want to create to try to kind of create an environment to, uh, because sex trafficking, human trafficking, is not just a single thing. There's so many ways, forms, kids, different ages, volunteer, forced. There's so many different ways that it's happening. And I think that if we could heal the issues that, of what happened first, then maybe we can cure the generational part of what's causing all these issues. Wow. So I think that's what I'm focusing on next. And I told myself that I was not going to grow it. I was going to let it grow itself because I don't have the answers. So yeah. the big thing is um, I'm asking for people to come forward and see if we can share, you know, whether you hurt somebody or not, you're still a beautiful soul to me and I'm open to collaborating with you. I think that the collaboration is this- the word that really resonates with me out of that is the sense that you don't believe you know everything. So you're creating space for others to, to bring their truth, their experience, yes, what they've lived into it, which is going to make it a richer outcome. Like whatever you create is going to be um, multifold better um, of a vision than, than just what you started with. And that seems to be another through line of how you 
you run things. How are you thinking about relationship building in this context? Are you trying to connect and reach out, engage with people who are in these spaces? Are you are you hosting like forums or you know, do you ever like host things in person? Are, are, you, are you a kind of a convener type person? I, I've never hosted anything in person, but I'm thinking about doing, doing that in the future. Uh, but there's so many ways to collaborate. Uh, it could be through an online presence. I'm actually thinking about how it could possibly unfold. There's many ways of communication that that can happen in, uh, whether somebody joins a group, whether, and you have to be very careful too, because I want to make sure that people's privacies are 100% sealed because I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. And I know this is a huge issue. This is very serious. I mean, this is huge, very serious. And, and I want to make sure that everybody feels protected and we're able to talk about, no matter what your people's experiences were or not, to, to be able to say, I think maybe this could help um, or, you know, but I think everything starts with forgiveness because to me is this almost happened to me also i was almost raped when i was in the orphanage but i was strong enough that i broke the guy's nose with my hand but a lot of my sisters were raped and i think the biggest thing that i'm finding is that when when that happens it's like somebody's taking a piece of your soul and how do you reconcile with that how do you um, claim that back, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it would be very beautiful to kind of figure out how to start a dialogue um, or a series of, of conversations uh, via blog or, or yeah. webinars or masterminds, which I'm trying to figure out right now. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to stay in touch with you throughout the year, but also hear how this is going a year from now. I know that Maggie, whatever you do, you're going to have an impact on people's lives, a, a really positive impact. Like the ripple in your life is, is huge. You, you're, you're touching more and more people in a really beautiful way. How can people find you and follow your work? If you go to my website, uh, Maggie at Maggie, uh, well, I'm sorry, MaggieCook.com. This is Maggie with one G. Cook, C-O-O-K.com. On social media, um, all channels except for Facebook, you can find me at um, the at symbol, arroba, how do you say that in English? At, at symbol, at symbol, mm-hmm. Maggie Cook, M-A-G-I-E Cook. And then Facebook just has a one at the end. Uh, I believe my YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter are all the same. Just Facebook has the at Maggie Cook one at the end. Great. And we're going to uh, put all those different links in the show notes so people can find them at ontheschmooze.com. Um, and Maggie, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been, it's been really amazing to share your story with our listeners. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure meeting you and I look forward to collaborating more with you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Maggie. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 162. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 150 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Were you inspired by my experience at Inbound and wondering exactly how to write that follow-up email? 
or how to host a dinner gathering at a conference, you'll find those strategies in detail and many more in my book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. I'm relaunching it this week to mark two years since it first launched. You can get the Kindle version for just $2.99 at croissantsvsbagels.com. If you enjoy it, I would appreciate an Amazon review. If you enjoyed this episode with Maggie, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.